0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the Word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com.
1: Tonight what we're going to do is we're going to go through one chapter of the Bible in Psalms, and it's Psalms 136. And the reason I want to go through uh, Psalms 136 is there's a Repetitive statement that happens in this chapter over and over and over again. The writer of this particular psalm, uh, there's 26 verses in this particular psalm, but the writer gives a line and then at the end of every one of the lines he ends with a statement. And that statement is, His faithful love endures forever. Um, If you have an older translation of the Bible or you are older like me um, and you grew up in church, Uh, you may recognize it as his mercy endures forever. Um, But the translation we're looking at tonight, the NLT, says his faithful love endures forever. So the reason I say the writer of this particular psalm is because there's, for some people in church, there's a misconception that King David wrote the book of Psalms. Now, he wrote a chunk of them, but he did not write all of them. There's 100 and I think 150 chapters in Psalms. David, most scholars credit him with writing 75 psalms. First line there you your notes. Um, there's some people who would argue about 73 or maybe give him partial credit for another dozen or so, but the general consensus is that he wrote about 75 of those things. The rest of them were written by more than a half dozen other people or groups. Uh, Moses has a couple in there. I think Solomon's got one in there. Uh, Job might have one in there. There was a worship leader that David assigned and the temple, and he wrote some, there was a, a group of Levites who wrote some over a, a number of years. And so um, this is not one that David wrote. So when I talk about it tonight and I say the writer," it's because we don't know exactly who wrote it, but we know it wasn't David. It's not one of his 75. But this Psalms 136 is broken up into five sections, next line your notes, into five sections. And so we're going to follow these five sections. And look at what the Lord would say to us through this chapter here tonight, okay? <clears throat> so, um, you'll see how this, the repetition goes here in section 1. It's verses 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. And on and on and on throughout the chapter, every single time he makes a statement, he says this statement following it. His faithful love endures forever. So if I'm looking at these first couple of lines here, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. My first thought is as a songwriter and someone my wife and I have written uh, quite a few songs. And my first you know, thought here was like, this is probably a way for the songwriter to kind of grab your attention. <clears throat> this is, he's gonna say a big old huge statement and try to grab your attention. One of my most proud moments as a father was when my son, who was um, 12 years old, came in one day, and he's highly into music, wildly gifted, and he comes to me and says, Dad, old music is so much better than new music. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I just beamed with pride at that moment, right? Because he was listening to all old stuff like Frank Sinatra. He was, you know, rocking the Beach Boys for a while. He was listening to old Nat King Cole. I mean, he loved all that soulful, meaningful music. You know, I was just so happy that he didn't try to come and convince me that mumble rap was actually really good because it's terrible. <clears throat> but he loved all the old stuff. He kind of had an old soul. And I was just, it's, it's because those songs and those lyrics were nuanced. They were they they had some kind of uh, I don't want to say talent because that would be cruel. Um, they had some kind of ability to to kind of look at um, to use lyrics in a way to paint a picture, as opposed to today where it's like I'm going to say the most offensive thing I can in about five seconds because I can and I'm awesome. You know what I mean? Like so that old music kind of had that kind of had that vibe. And so when I looked at this, I thought, man, are they use is, is the writer of Psalm 136 looking at that going? Um, I'm just going to try to make a big statement here to get everybody's attention. And as I as I read it and I continued reading the psalm, I realized what he was doing here. He's not just looking to make some big general statement to start the psalm. From the very beginning, the writer is stating God's character. He is good, and God's position. The God of gods, the Lord of lords. That's the next two lines in your notes there. From the very beginning, the writer is stating God's character and God's position. So letter A. <clears throat> Why is this important that we start everything in our life remembering God's character and his position? Letter A in your notes. God's character is perfect and his position is supreme. God's character is perfect, and his position is supreme. I don't know about you, but I have a default position, and it's not a very good one. If I hit a struggle in my life, or if I face some type of adversity, my natural, um, away from Jesus, my just my fleshly um, default position, the first thing that I go to is, why is this happening to me? Why did God let this happen to me? Why did God do this? He knows that this is going to be painful for me. Why in the world did he let this happen to me? And in those moments, what the writer of this psalm is doing is saying at the very beginning of every life scenario, we need to remember God's character and his position. Why? When When we trust God's character, we can avoid blaming him for any terrible thing that is happening in our life. And when we trust God's position, we can avoid becoming fearful of anything that is happening in our life. One of the things that we do naturally as human beings in our flesh is we look for someone to blame when something went wrong. And typically that's not us. We look for somebody else. Let me point the finger. I, we judge everybody else by their worst actions and ourselves by our best intentions. And we let ourself off the hook really quick and we put blame where it doesn't need to be on someone else. And if you're a new believer or if you're going through a hard time and you have an incorrect view of God that you're not going to experience pain or suffering when you follow him, then your first position, your first place to point the blame is going to be him. What we have to do anytime that we are faced with a trial or a hardship is to remember God's character, he is good. Yeah. Everything that he does for us is good. And we have to remember his, his position, which is supreme and over everything. And if I remember in the hard time that he is supreme and over everything, my fear begins to drastically diminish. And if I remember that he is good, then I'm looking for what he's going to perform that is good in the middle of a terrible thing for me. The reason that this, I really believe that the reason that the psalmist here starts with this is because he wants us to remember, start with God's character and his position in every life scenario. Section 2, it's verses 4 through 9. I'll read just the first half of the verses and and not the repeating words um, from here on out until the very end, and we'll do something together. Section 2 and verse 4. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights, the sun to rule the day, and the moon and stars to rule the night. I like how he says, he gives he just doesn't make a general statement that God made everything. He talks about him placing the earth among the waters, making the lights. He made the heavens so skillfully. Letter B in your notes. God himself designed everything. God himself designed everything. The writer of this psalm is reminding us that God specifically and very purposely made and designed everything. Now, the writer of this psalm doesn't have any of the scientific knowledge that we have today. He doesn't know anything about um, uh, planetary science. He doesn't know anything about, you know, um, uh, uh, you know any kind of technology? Does know anything about microscopes? Does know about the cellular makeup of our biology? He doesn't know anything about quantum physics. Nothing. He's just identifying, even without this knowledge, that God has specifically made everything. <clears throat> One of the things that um, that I, that catalyzes it or cauterizes this idea for me is. Um, I I watch, I I try to listen to a lot of people who do a lot with um, biology and science and listen to the the ways that they're exploring the human body and the way things are made. And the more they drill down to the the root cause of life, the more we begin to prove an absolute Mm -hmm. designer and that none of this has happened by chance. One of the things that, you know, there's an old scripture, or the scripture I heard a lot when I was growing up, is that God knows every hair on your head, the number of hairs on your head. For some of us, it's a few hundred. For some of us, it's a few thousand, right? Like, there's some people have a little less number to count. It would be easier to count theirs than other people's, right? <clears throat> uh, so I went to the hair hair guy the other day, or the get my hair cut, and the, she cut from behind and went, Oh, and I thought, What's that about? She's like, Oh, you're getting a little uh, thinner up here than it is in the front. I'm like, you just keep cutting and see if you can cover that up for me, right? So I'm, I'm losing some of those here in the back. I'm kind of just like slicking it over there to cover all that up, right? Because um, I'm, I'm, there's less for me to count than there used to be. So, uh, But when we talk about the building blocks of life, scientists will tell you that a cell, which is invisible to the naked eye, you have to have some type of high-powered microscope to see it, is thinner than the width of one strand of hair. It's that thin. When I was in school, we were talking about cells as if it's the smallest thing, but as we have gone on, we have drilled down even further and discovered something called DNA. And inside every particular cell... All of the genes that are in that cell, inside the cell, so smaller than the cell, all of the genes in one cell, a scientist referred to as a genome. That genome has 3 billion with a B. The human genome consists of 3 billion base DNA pairs. So inside the cell, is a genome with 3 billion pieces of information that is 99.8% the same for every human being on earth. And our differences in our, in our skin color and, and, the, and the different um, uh, the ways our body responds to certain foods or th- different temperatures, our eye color... Everything, your hair color, if you have freckles or not, everything is based upon that 0.02% difference in the human genome. Three billion pieces of information in something smaller than a cell that has to be in the correct order for it to communicate everything that needs to be communicated for, to the rest of your body so that you can live. The genetic information is in an exact and specific order. Harvard University in October 2012 uh, released a Science in the News article, and this is a quote from it, it's in your notes. Of the trillions, that's with a T, trillions of cells that compose our body, from neurons that relay signals throughout the brain to the immune cells that help defend our bodies from constant external assault, almost every one... Contain the same 3 billion DNA base pairs that make up a human genome, the entirety of our genetic material. It is remarkable that each of over 200 cell types in the body interprets this identical information very differently in order to perform the functions necessary to keep us alive. I saw a picture of this this week, and they highlighted the DNA, um, the DNA parts of the cell. And it was this beautiful, gorgeous colored, um, picture. And I was just astounded because they said every dot in this picture represents another one of those strands of DNA. Three billion pieces of information in a correct order, every single person. And if they're out of order, guess what? You're not alive. It is absolutely ludicrous to think the universe and every living thing randomly appeared from nothing in the absolute perfect order categorized in line so that we could be alive in something smaller than a cell. In no other place of science do we go, oh, yeah, it just appeared. And we go, okay, I believe that, except for the origin of everything. Why is this important to remember? Because God himself designed everything. He designed everything. What the writer is telling us without even knowing the detailed specifics of our anatomy and how much information is in the human genome, he's He's saying to us, you have been created, you have been designed, and if he designed everything, we have no need to worry about the unknown because he's the one who created it. The author here in this section 2, verses 4 through 9, is going through here and saying, look, all of these things, all of these things that he knows about, show the wonderful design and creation of God. We have so much more information than he had at that point to say again, yes, we know that it, 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 there is there's a wonderful, beautiful design behind everything. And if I'm going to face an issue in my own life, It is very good to know that I serve the God who precisely put three billion pieces of information in the correct order inside a cell that makes us up. I have no reason to worry about the unknown. And when I remember that God made and designed everything, section number three. Verses 10 through 16, give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. He brought Israel out of Egypt. He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm. He gave thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. He led Israel safely through, but he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. The writer draws our attention to the mighty things the Lord has done for his people in the past. He is saying, go back and remember all of the mighty acts of Almighty God when he provided for you as his children. Now, I don't want to, we we had an entire message about this a few weeks ago called Let Us Not Forget, about not forgetting what the Lord has done. So I don't want to spend too much time here. If you missed that, please go back and listen to it. But what that brings us to is letter C. We can trust God with our future. He has proven himself in the past. He has shown up big for his children all throughout history. And if we think about it, we can look at the places where he's shown up for us and we can entrust that God who has consistently shown up for us and is consistently um, uh, true to his word, that we can trust that God with our future because he's going to continue to show up for us in the future and continue to guide us as we go forward. Section 4. Section 4. Verses 17 through 22. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. He killed powerful kings. Sion, the king of the, Emirate, the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance, a special possession to his servant, Israel. When I read these this, this section and I, and I thought about, you know, um, uh, Obviously, what they're refer- referring to here is Sihon, you know, they've, um, God conquered Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. When I sat and I, and I looked at these, I thought, man, God really wiped out a whole bunch of people. He cleared the way of a lot of opposition for Israel, right? We've already, he's already mentioned, you know, Pharaoh and all those guys, but what about, you know, the walls of Jericho, what about, you know, all these other things that the other people that God has, has wiped out and pushed out of the way of his people? What about that? How come these two are brought to light? And the reason is, is because Sihon and Og, these kings, they wielded very powerful armies. They had a reputation for being wildly strong from a military perspective. <clears throat> so I went back and I thought, well, Sion to me is a car, right? Like, I don't know who King Sion is, right? Some of y'all get that on the way home, your wife will explain it to you. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but I, you know, Sion and Og, you know, this is obviously not Sion, what I'm thinking of, so I gotta go figure out who these guys are. And so Sion, the next line of your notes, was a king of the Amorites, a pagan nation just east of Canaan. <clears throat> so got Canaan over here. The children of Israel are going through the wilderness and they're going to they're gonna try to go into the land of Canaan, but God is leading them to go far to the north area. And so Moses is leading the people out of the wilderness and he goes to, and he sends word to King Sion. He sends a word to him and says, hey, can we pass through your land? He's the, the ruler of the southern portion of this land, just, just east of Canaan. And they said, can we walk through on a road called the King's Highway? Can we pass through? We will not take any water. We won't stop and draw any water from your well. We won't eat any fruit off the side of the road. If we see a vineyard, we won't pick grapes. We're going to keep our hands to ourselves. We're going to keep the hands and the feet inside the cart at all times. And we're going to go right down the King's Highway and pass through. Do you, uh, we're going to We're asking you, can we have permission to walk through? King Sion not only doesn't allow them, uh, doesn't give them permission to go through, King Sion rallies this mighty, huge, terrible, fierce, strong army and says, not only you're not going to walk through here, I'm going to come and attack you and wipe you out. And after spending multiple years in the wilderness, exhausted, many of the older people have passed away. The children of Israel, God gives them, the children of Israel, the strength to defeat Sion's army. Not only did, um, not only that, the Lord um, give them the power to beat the army. He told them, now that you've defeated the army, just occupy the area. And everything that they built is now yours. You're allowed to inhabit it. Upon word of this, the king of the north, Og, says, I'm not going to let these guys come in and do the same thing to me. I'm going to catch him by surprise. And so he rallies his mighty, big, strong, terrible army and goes down to attack the children of Israel. And God gives them strength to defeat Og as well. Next line in your notes, historians acknowledge that Sion, king of the Amorites, was a mighty king and his army was strong and terrible. It is likely that the Israelites were, humanly speaking, not strong enough to defeat Sion's forces. When I thought about this particular section of the psalm... I realized something that was very encouraging for me and where I am in my own life and hopefully, hopefully it'll be encouraging encouragement to you as well. The Lord gave the children of Israel strength to win the battles even though they were not strong enough to win. The children of Israel were obediently following the Lord when they were attacked by their enemies. Maybe the resistance that you feel from the enemy is a sign that you are going in the right direction. If you are following the Lord with your life and following his lead and you are following the path that he has marked out for you, there will be resistance from the enemy. And when that onslaught comes, you may feel like, how in the world am I going to survive this attack? How in the world am I going to survive this? Because I can't make it through this attack. I don't have the strength to endure through this one because what opposes me is greater than the strength that I have. God, you led me out here. You're the one who directed our steps. And so if we're following him, guess what happens? Letter D. We need to remain confident in the Lord even when the enemy opposes us. Next line. The Lord will strengthen us to win any battle if we're following him. His lead. The key here is not going, God, come and save us from this attack. No, the key here is I'm following where He's leading. He's marked out the path, He's shown the way. We want to travel on the King's Highway. We're trying to just navigate through on our own. We want to pass, and the, and the enemies of God step forward and give resistance. And guess what God does? He strengthens his people to overcome the opposition of the enemy. And what we're to remember by this section of this psalm, from the writer of this psalm, the 136, is this. Continue to follow where the Lord is leading us. Even when there's opposition, do not be afraid. Do not cower down. If the Lord is leading you down that road, he is either going to clear the road as he did for the children of Israel, or he's going to give you strength enough to fight the enemy in this battle. And because of his strength in your life, then you overcome. Last section, section five. He remembered us in our weakness. He saved us. From our enemies, he gives food to every living thing. Give thanks to the God of heaven. When I read this portion, I found something in those in verses 23, 24, and 25 that really jumped out at me. It was the first two words: He remembered. He saved. He gives. He remembered. He saved. He gives. He remembered. He saved. He gives. What does it mean when we read a scripture that says he remembered us in our weakness? Did we were, were we strong at one point and God went, oh, they got it. And he just kind of put us out of their mind. And then when we became weak, he just went, oh, I remember them now. No, what does it mean when he remembered us in our weakness? What it means is he showed up for us with strength we didn't have when we were weak. There's an action involved in this remembrance. He shows up for us. How does he save us from our enemies? In the previous section, we see that God gave Israel strength to fight. So one of the ways he saves us from our enemies is gives us the strength to overcome them as opposition. I find it very interesting and wildly funny and very um, uh, confidence building for me to know that God takes credit For our victories when he gave us the strength to overcome the enemy. He takes credit for it. That means that he's looking at his enemy and saying, I've got the weakest little bitty humans over here who can't oppose you, but I'm going to use them. I'm going to put my strength inside of them to rub your stinking nose in it. How dare you oppose my children when they're pursuing my will. I love that he takes credit for that. But when he he saved us from our enemies, in this instance, he gave us strength to overcome them. He gives food. He provides. All of these things are action words, which leads me to letter E. The Lord acts on behalf of his children. The Lord acts on behalf of his children. Here's why this is wildly important. For all of us to remember that God acts on our, our behalf. Pierce White. About 10 years ago, I um, read a study of a research committee who did um, a, a giant um, uh, poll, I guess is what we'll call it. They did a giant poll on people who call themselves Christians in the United States. 20% only 2 out of 10 prescribed to the God of the Bible. said they believed that God made us and put us here, but then after he got done creating, went off somewhere and left us never to think about us again. 25%, one out of every four believers in Christ, or people who call themselves a believer in Christ, think that God made us, left us here to think for ourselves, and is not acting in any way on your behalf. I am here. To tell you that God did not leave you alone. You are not an orphan child. You have not been abandoned by your creator. He sees everything that happens. Anything that happens, he caused or he allowed. He is in control. And he sees where you are. Even the moments of intense loneliness and abandonment. When those emotions overrun us, he sees where you are. And when you call out to him, he Acts on behalf of his children. And in this way, the writer wraps up everything saying, look, remember God's character and his position. Remember what he's done for you in the past. Do not not become fearful of where you're going to go. Trust him with your future. Remain confident when the enemy opposes you. And remember that God shows up and acts on behalf of his children kids. Whenever there's moments where I question any of these five things and we talk about this a lot, there's no superheroes in this room. Even the people who sit here and speak and teach and stuff, there's no superheroes here. We all deal with the same struggle. I'm going through this crazy hard time and then what starts going on? Is God really going to Do what he said he's going to do. Did he really promise me what he promised me in prayer? Am I just talking to myself here? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Is, Is what I read, did I really understand that right? Because it doesn't really look like it's lining out from what's read to what's being played out here in my life. And what's really going on? And after a while, the doubt, the fear, the insecurity begins to have these thoughts that ring in my head and my heart like a bell constantly over and over and over and over. It's not gonna work out. The person you're praying for will never come, will never see you again. The person that you are that you are believing for to to be healed of the sickness that God doesn't do that anymore. All this time is done. Why are you even bothering praying? Is God even real? All these things continue to play over and over and over in my heart and mind. And I'm sure that's just me and not you. But it's like this bell and it just rings over and it just reverberates through every action of my life. It causes me to hesitate when I feel like... God's given me something to do. It causes me to to second guess any direction that I feel like he's led me to through his word or through prayer. It causes me to have this apprehension and because it just continues over and over and there's times where I can't shut it up and I go to sleep with it and I wake up with it. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Those thoughts and those doubts that keep going over and over and over. And what I do is I let them ring. And then when I read this scripture, I thought, man, this statement is wildly redundant. After every single thing that the writer of Psalms highlights, he ends with this. His faithful love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. Say it with me. His faithful love endures forever. Again, his faithful love endures forever. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna point at you, and we're gonna do something to end this time and end our message here today. When I point at you, I want you to say his faithful love endures forever. When he he treats us with goodness because He remains in control of everything because... His faithful love endures forever. He designed everything and provides for our very existence because... His faithful love endures forever. He can be trusted to keep His word with our future because... His faithful love endures forever. He strengthens us for the battles ahead because... His faithful love endures forever. He acts on our behalf because... His faithful love endures Regardless of what we're dealing with today, we need to repeat this one statement in our mind and our hearts, and that is... His faithful love endures forever. Scripture tells us that God's word is like a sword. It is the only offensive weapon that you and I as believers right. have. Right. So my my failure in the times where all of those things were going over and over and over in my head, all those thoughts and those things are playing over and over in my heart and reverberating throughout every other aspect of my life. I let that bell continue to be rung without pulling God's word out, chopping that bell off its hand and kicking that thing down the road. And instead of listening to the ideas that this is not going to work out for you, what you're praying for is not going to come to fruition. The job you lost is because you're terrible. You're not going to get another one. The one that you just got, is not going to be as good as the one that you just left. Whatever that is, it's going on and on and on. It doesn't matter. I'm asking you today. I'm encouraging you. I'm begging you. I'm imploring you as believers in Christ to take up the truth of God's yeah. word, silence oh, wow. that, silence every one of those things that is, that is ringing over in your life that is anti the scripture and remember his faithful love endures forever. I lost my job, Matt. His faithful love endures forever. I just got a brand new job, Matt. Great. His faithful love endures forever. I was diagnosed with skin cancer. I'm going to have to go through surgery for it. Don't worry. His faithful love endures forever. I'm praying for someone and they were healed. Great. Why? Because his faithful love endures forever. That statement remains true regardless where we are in our life. Regardless what we're facing, regardless what challenge is coming against us, regardless the opposition of the enemy, his faithful love endures forever. Will somebody here this week shut the mouth of the enemy that's ringing in your ears, in your head, in your mind, in your heart with his word and remind yourself... His faithful love endures forever. He is love. He is faithfulness. He never fails. So when you put that together, what happens? His faithful love endures forever. It never fails. I want that to be ringing in your head for the rest of 2021. No matter where you are, his faithful love endures forever. Matt, you're just being positive. You just want to pat us on the back. You just want us to not look at the negative and look at the positive. Uh, No. Because your boys tried that, and it does not work. (laughs) Let me tell you, it does not work. What does work is remembering the promises of Almighty God. Come on. His faithful love (laughs) endures forever. You're going to step out and do something. That you've never done before this year, Matt. Okay, God. Uh, So go do it. And then the moment of fear comes. Is it gonna work? Mm. (laughs) It's not gonna work. It'll fail, just like everything else. You don't have the the fortitude to to push all the way through it. It won't complete. You'll quit on it halfway through. You'll 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 find the hard part and not push through. It'll go through. But this says, if I'm following him, he's going to help me.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: So you shut your mouth because this says his faithful love endures forever. Got people you're praying for? Faithful love endures forever. you praying for them and they still act up crazy and you'd be like, I'm praying for this person. They still act in this other crazy way. Right. Guess what? His faithful love endures forever. That's right. Hardship, job loss, family issues, health problems. Fill in whatever terrible, catastrophic blank you want. It doesn't change his character or his position we start there. And when we start with His character being good and perfect and His position being supreme, it is so much easier to pull that out and say His faithful love endures forever. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's not off somewhere. He sees right where you are. Remember his character remember his position remember that what he's done for you in the past remember that your, your your future is secure you can trust him with where you're going and if we're following his lead he will strengthen us to overcome the enemy because he acts on our behalf how does he act his faithful love endures